Folks, welcome along to The Mental Game, a podcast that takes a look at the psychology of human performance. I'm Larry McGuire, your host, and this week on episode number four, we're going to take a look at some of the key psychological skills of elite performers. These are the mental skills, the mental capabilities um, that allow us to outperform ourselves, I suppose, primarily. Uh, as a result, then we outperform others. But really, it's not about others. It's about us because we can only ever improve uh, in a sustainable way, I believe, by measuring ourselves against ourselves. And, and this is a key aspect uh, of high level performance. You've got to get into the work, I think, for the sake of it. You'll hear me say that quite a bit. Uh, you probably, if you're reading my material over on the performatist and uh, LarryGMcGuire.com, that'll be a common theme you might notice. But this week, uh, we're going to take a look at, at some of the research and what it says about uh, elite performers and what they do to achieve their high-level results, uh, and indeed what um, psychologists and trainers and coaches who would be familiar with this material uh, teach their athletes and uh, workers and business people, etc. Uh, in terms of how to improve their own performance in work and sport, etc. I should acknowledge from the outset that it's been a while since our last episode. Uh, situations, COVID situation and work situation, family life for everyone has been affected, not, not least for me. So uh, the best of intentions were scuppered early on, but hopefully we can get things going again. Uh, writing has has continued for me and the material over on theperformatist.com uh, and on LarryGMcGuire.com, uh, that's been uh, I've been keeping that going. So uh, please do visit to see some of the latest stuff. Uh, but this week, like I said, we're going to talk about uh, some of the mental skills we can use to improve our game. Um, I should perhaps offer you a recap in terms of what performance psychology is. Um, for me, uh, I suppose it's an umbrella term for a lot of different elements that we can use or that we can we can learn from uh, help us understand ourselves um, and the results we we obtain in the world in relationships in work in our sport uh, in our businesses in our stage performance every area of life whether it's the military whether it's emergency services whether it's the arts business sport etc uh, our performance that thing we do can be improved by applying the skills uh, or the knowledge rather that we've obtained from studying human behavior um, and what goes on internally. Uh, traditionally, the view would have been purely beha behaviorist, I suppose, 1940s from the early part of the 20th century up to maybe the 60s or indeed the 70s. The behaviorist view was dominant. In other words, uh, we could only determine uh, people's behavior by virtue of what they did in the world and the world reacting, them reacting with the world and the, the world acting on them were the only uh, means we had to be sure uh, of how people behaved and performed. But really that changed in the 70s when uh, a cognitive view of behavior began uh, to take over. And really that's what kind of dominates now at the moment. Although I think... Um, uh, the behaviorist approach is still there and it's still relevant, but it's it's combined now with a, a, 
a cognitive view which understands there to be internal influences uh, over what it is we do. And I suppose performance psychology leans heavily on this idea that internal states dictate, in, in, to a large degree, uh, dictate to how we perform in the world and how we do our work. It's not only about the mechanics of the work. It's not only about uh, learning the skill, uh, maybe with the bat or the ball or the racket or whatever happens to be in sport or um, in the work environment, it's, it's very different. You don't necessarily use tools. Well, in the modern work environment, office space work environment, it's more about relationship and your relationship with the environment and your relationship with the events that occur and your relationship with other people. It's that it's that cognitive skills really come into play there uh, uh, more so than physical skills because it's one to one stuff in a in a sporting world or maybe in a uh, in the arts there's there is a relationship with, with tools and physical elements of the job so the cognitive cognitive aspect plays a big role in both regardless of whether you're using your hands and your body and tools of the trade so to speak or you're indeed primarily working with people. Performance psychology says, okay, uh, here's what we've learned about how the best of us perform. Here's what we've learned about how we talk to ourselves, how we think about our work, how we set goals for the future. Um, and that's really what I want to dis discuss a little bit today. So, um, there's a term that's used broadly in performance psychology and in sport as well, uh, psycho psychological skills training. And it's a, a methodological system, you could say, that performers and coaches and psychologists use um, for us to better regulate our psychological state, um, both in and out of the performance environment. So you could say, for example, um, when you're at home in the evening time, and you're thinking about your work that you're doing, you're going to do tomorrow, or maybe that you did earlier in the day, that's having an effect on your performance, on your future performance. It's about how we think about our so-called failures, how we frame those, and the the effect that the thought about those apparent failures have on our cognition, on our emotion, on our uh, physicality or physiology. So all this comes into play and it happens both in and out of the game, if you know what I mean. So uh, psychologists uh, Robert Weinberg and Daniel Gould in their book Foundations of Sport and Exercise Psychology define psychological skills training as a systematic and consistent practice of mental or psychological skills for the purpose of enhancing performance, increasing enjoyment or achieving greater sport uh, and physical activity uh, self-satisfaction so in other words it's the stuff we do to i suppose it's happiness right all psychological inquiry all scientific inquiry is well psychological i suppose primarily because that's what we're talking about all psychological inquiry is what is it that makes us happy? What is it that makes us sad? So it's this, di this dialectic, an examination of this dialectic of, of happiness, unhappiness, uh, uh, feeling good and feeling bad. And what is it that dictates these things? So performance psychology is basically um, how that applies to us in the workplace. You know, when we go to work, 
and I categorize work as not just the stuff we do that we get paid for. It's the stuff that we do when we're awake, when we get out of scratcher and we head out into the world and we do stuff, you know, it could be voluntary um, activity. It could be charitable activity. It could be, you know, you just run for fun, for example. Um, but we always want to improve the results that we achieve, you know. And and I think in the article I published recently over on the performatist uh, on this very topic, psychological skills training, um, I finish up by saying that it really is about uh, curiosity. And if we don't have curiosity as being the major component, that feeling of being drawn into our work, um, if that's not a major component in what motivates us, well, I think um, all our efforts will be short-lived. Or if we do manage to, to maintain um, the activity, well, then maybe results won't be as good as they otherwise would have been, you know. Um, psychological skills training, in my view, tries to get us into the zone. It tries to get us into a place where we're not in the past, we're not in the future, we're just in the moment and we're doing our work. And you'll find, and I certainly find, that when it's in those states, that state of of play, of work or whatever, where nothing else is encroaching on our attention and our focus, that's where the most enjoyment is. It, it is for me, at least, you know, if I draw, for example, or I, or I spend time constructing an article or I'm recording a podcast, the best flow that I can achieve is when I'm just in it, you know, and I'm sure you feel the same. So psychological skills training, uh, I suppose we want to get back to that, you know, specific aspect of performance psychology. It's about um, staying in the moment. It's about refining um, our focus and attention. It's about self-regulation, uh, using mental imagery, self-talk, meditation, whatever it is. Uh, your chosen technique is to uh, get into that zone. And that's what we're trying to do. Uh, in psychological, uh, in performance psychology and sports psychology, uh, they talk about multimodal um, psychological skills training. And that really is simply where uh, a lot of different tactics are combined um, specific to the athlete, specific to the worker, to the artist to help them that individual uh achieve better results and that's really um what makes sports psychology or performance psychology uh specific in, in terms of a real world application is that it's if it's done right it's designed for the individual uh, rather than the group science likes to generalize and where the scientific method produces uh, consistent results from analyzing big groups of people. We can say that, oh, well, this is applicable to the greater population and the results are consistent. Thereby, we can rely on it as a as a reasonable um, theory of human behavior. But really where the rubber meets the road is where those learnings uh, and those theories can be applied successfully to the individual. And if they don't, uh, if they can't be applied successfully, well, then they're worthless, at least for the individual. And well, really, that's what it's about, isn't it? You know, uh, if if 
the value in doing research and writing about these things for me is that they might help someone, that they might help me or they might help you uh, specifically because that's the real, that's the real, the, the, that's where the gravity of uh, the study of psychology is for me. It's in the individual experience. So any assessment, uh, any intervention that's applied in the real world, whether it's a single skill or a, a multiple um, the application of multiple skills it's got to make a difference to someone somewhere um so the psychological skills we're talking about uh, in today's episode um are cognitive restructuring which is essentially where we change our mind about the event uh self-regulation which is about essentially control controlling our own emotional and psychological state uh, mental rehearsal where we bring ourselves through both um from uh, uh, the perspective of sight and sound and the physical feeling of the event that we rehearse it uh, in our minds when we're sitting on the couch or lying in bed um self-talk and self-talk is a, is an aspect of can be an aspect of mental rehearsal. It can be an aspect of cognitive restructuring as well. But specifically, self-talk can be used. I mean, we talk to ourselves most of the time. It's very rare that we don't talk to ourselves. There's always a voice in our head, so to speak, um, uh, narrating life uh, and telling us, giving us feedback on our experience. Most of the time, it's automatic. Uh, in this case, self-talk, we're using self-talk specifically and in, in a controlled manner to... Um, create um, a better relationship with the events and the occurrences in our world or in our sport or in our in our business. And finally, goal setting. Uh, I don't I've I've had um, a difficult relationship with goal setting and I'll get into that. I'll tell you why in a little bit. But essentially, goal setting can be used. Uh, it's It's very popular. Um, but it has its downsides, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Okay, so let's get into uh, cognitive restructuring. Um, it's a method that therapists and psychologists use in interventions to help clients restructure or reframe uh, perhaps a negative experience. So we react to difficult conditions almost automatically, and many of us have very little control over where our mind goes taken off into crazy notions and it escalates it, it the momentum of it carries us away almost and we can end up in a very dark place uh, with regard to our own ability with regard to our place in the world um, and if we can't stop ourselves uh, it can be detrimental so cognitive restructuring in basic terms is about changing your mind about a given experience it's based uh, on research by uh, psychologist Richard Lazarus and his a theory of cognitive mediational, uh, cognitive mediation um, of emotional states. So it suggests that our cognitive appraisal of a given situation creates an automatic assessment and response. So he says in his paper, when we say that emotion affects cognition, we are saying in effect that thoughts are also part of the emotions they cause. So that means essentially that we can change the way we feel by changing how we think about what happens to us. So uh, a practical way you can apply this is when things don't go according to plan, 
give yourself a break. Stop and ask yourself, does this response that I'm having right now serve me? Does it make me stronger? And if the answer is no, choose a statement that does. Now, the story is there, the best way to approach this is that we must practice it. We can't wait for the day to arrive and then suddenly try to apply it. We've got to apply it in, in training. We've got to apply it uh, when there's no one around and we're sitting at our desk and maybe uh, a subordinate or a worker or a colleague doesn't do something that you were, you were relying on them to do. So rather than flying off the handle, take a breath, think about the situation and apply a different mode of thought to it. Next up, number two, we've got self-regulation. And self-regulation uh, refers to our ability to regulate both positive and negative arousal. So <clears throat> we might be negatively aroused by a colleague not doing what they were supposed to do, or we might be positively aroused by uh, the results turning out ex far exceeding our expectations. And what self-regulation is about is trying to control um, those reactions. So uh, human performance studies have defined arousal as the psychological and physiological reactions to conditions and assumes a particular optimal state for high performance. So rather than getting overexcited, uh, it's probably not good for performance. You've got to stay in control. And if you play field sports, for example, you probably know this. Um, and likewise, negative arousal uh, can take you down. You know, you're losing your patience with yourself. Maybe your emotions are taken over um, and you're losing your patience with teammates or teammates in the, in the offices or or maybe in a stage performance or, or teammates on the field. So uh, self-regulation is about ma maintaining control over uh, how we behave. It has a lot to do with uh, the... Uh, uh, emotional center of the brain, um, the amygdala, which essentially, uh, well, it's 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 uh, it's related uh, a lot with negative emotion. And once that part of the brain lights up, um, it shuts down our ability to think straight. That area of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, has been shown to shut down or or uh, not shut down completely, but access to it is restricted. So too is access to uh, the learning center of the brain, um, the hippocampus, uh, the le learning and memory center. So when you're uptight, you can't access those areas of cognition that you need to manage it, uh, fight or flight, it's known as. So um, uh, maintaining your, uh, your state, your arousal state, regulating your your emotional state is very important. So how can you do that? So to counter to counter negative impact of anxiety, for example, um, it's a good idea to get an accountability partner, a colleague um, or a fellow athlete that you respect and be there for one, or, one another as a source of motivation. And when things aren't working out, maybe you can plug in with them and help regulate each other. Each other. Um, another important aspect is uh, that uh, research has found is glucose uh, depletion, uh, which is the, the primary fuel source for the brain. If you're depleted, in other words, if you haven't taken on enough fuel, uh, it's going to impact your ability to think. 
and you impact your ability to regulate yourself. So make sure that you're properly fueled. And I mean, you know, you're not chucking down crap food, convenience food and sugary foods, that you're eating proper foods that last you throughout the day. Uh, that's very important. And uh, um, another important aspect or way to to uh, self-regulate is that if you're feeling drained and unmotivated or stressed out, take 15 minutes rest, lie on the couch, get some shut eye. And I certainly find after doing that, I'm in much better form and much better capable to, to capable of dealing with a difficult situation. Number three, we have mental rehearsal. So uh, this involves the visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and even speech um, uh, involved in your systematic rehearsal of an event. So if you've got, let's say, a presentation, you've prepared your presentation, you have it all written out, you have your slides done, get yourself in the place, in a quiet place where you can close your eyes and imagine the situation you can well you're going to need your eyes if you're going to read the presentation but the idea is here that you bring yourself uh into the event as much as possible before it occurs and the more you do that uh the better you will be able to cope with the situation so for example if i have a presentation to do uh, i'll stand in front of the computer uh with the remote control and i'll flick through the slides and rehearse it um how you could in addition to that how you could prepare is to close your eyes and imagine the situation going according to plan in advance and afterwards and do that on a regular basis for sports people it may be uh sitting with a coach uh, and the coach running through the event um from start to finish with you uh, and talking you through the physical the physical sensations of of the event um what really brought this kind of idea of mental rehearsal home for me was when i watched an interview of lizzie yarnold the uh, 2014 I, I believe 2018 uh, olympic gold medalist winter olympic gold medalist she said in an interview with the british daily mail that every night when she went to bed she visualized her event and not only did she visualize it, but she felt it too. Every turn of the course, every bump, every every increase in speed, etc. Uh, and critically, she said she didn't visualize winning. Instead, she visualized the process. And I think this is a key aspect. So how you can apply this is before setting out in your day, before breakfast, before anything else imposes on your time, take a few minutes to imagine your day. You don't have to see every single aspect. The more of it you can see in detail without getting uptight or, or stressed, well, then the better. But try to see it going according to plan. And um, do this at night too before you go to bed. Uh, if you have got a big event coming up, um, it's worthwhile. And don't wait for one or two nights before the day. Uh, make it part of a daily practice. I think it's of benefit. Self-talk, number four. When we refer to self-talk, uh, this is the inner dialogue or, well, monologue perhaps, the inner speech that carries on inside our heads, for want of a better description. Um, it's the conversation, the mental conversation and the, the statements and, and the assertions and uh, all of that kind of uh, 
language and conversation that goes on without often without our control it's uh representative for many of us uh of automatic beliefs and uh concepts and ideas we hold about ourselves in the world it can represent a positive view of ourselves or indeed a regular a negative one it can say it, it can say to us reinforcing us that we are good at this thing that we do or indeed negative that you know conversations again come on don't mess this up you need to get this right uh, i don't believe that works very well and um, it it might on occasion but i think it's you know if that's the dominant conversation we're having with ourselves we're not going to produce performance results that that we want to see um for example you might say to yourself this routine is hard yet uh, you're empowered to do better um, so it's not only the words that count, but it's what it inspires you to do next, if you know what I mean. So um, you could, your colleague or your teammate might have the same statement or similar words going on in their head, but they might give up. So it's not necessarily the words, but it's rather the, I suppose, the feeling tone associated with the words. Uh, according to research, self-talk can be used in different forms and has different functions for different people, like I said. Therefore, it also has different performance effects. Um, we're encouraged to, before implementing a program of psychological skills training, is that we'd have to take into account the domain of where, on the level of anticipation, I suppose, uh, of results and, and the level of participation uh, for what it is we're going to apply. And uh, if we're going to use um, self-talk we need to uh, use it in such a way that's beneficial for us. Um, and it really is individual, which, which reinforces the idea that uh, specific programs for the individual are important. Uh, as a practical way of applying self-talk yourself, um, you've got to practice it. Uh, so throughout your day, in your work, with your family, when you're alone, notice how you speak to yourself. And when you hear automatic responses that disempower you, ask yourself, is this what I want to hear? Essentially, what we're going, what we're trying to do here is to turn that inner critic into an inner coach. So if it doesn't benefit you, if it doesn't make you feel good about yourself, change the response. Next up, and finally, number five, we have goal setting. So I mentioned at the top that uh, this, this kind of component of psychological skills training I have a, a, a negative relationship with because throughout my professional career in business, goal setting never worked for me. Not really, not certainly not in the big, in the big sense, the best things that ever occurred for me in business, the, the best results that I achieved happened almost of their own accord. And when I intentionally went out to achieve a particular result, uh, results weren't great. Now, that could have been down to many different uh, components and influencing factors, environmental, economic, uh, personal belief systems, so many different things. But uh, I don't believe that goal setting uh, is always the best approach. What I mean by goal setting is set a target six months down the road and then lay out a plan to achieve that goal. It's too simplistic and it doesn't take into, a, into account the negative impact of, of setting goals. So I've highlighted an article by Ordonez uh, et al. from 2009 uh, that uh, highlights the negative impacts of setting goals. 
the article is, is called, you can actually get it if you Google it, Goals Gone Wild. And it suggests that um, setting goals or the extrinsics, extrinsic rewards associated with a task can have a detrimental effect on our results. And as highlighted in the article by Ordonez, linked to in the article associated with this episode, it highlights that we're inclined when we set goals, and not in all cases, but it's it's enough to prompt us to maybe take a different approach. It inclines us to take risks uh, and maybe uh, undertake unethical behavior uh, in achieving those goals. Just go and read that article because it's very interesting um, what they've found. I would suggest a different approach. Um, I would contend that if you're involved in sport or if you're involved in business, you already know why you're doing that. You've, you already know what, let's say, the pinnacle of achievement in that particular area is. So you don't need to think about it. You don't need to work towards it, per se, uh, with a strategic plan. Uh, the only thing you must do, as far as I'm concerned, is to immerse, immerse yourself in the work. So the only goal must be to do what you're doing now to the best of your ability. Um, if that means that it's less than yesterday in measurable terms, well then fine. But the the momentum must be always upwards if you want to take that kind of analogy. So if you're doing a training session, beat what you did 10 minutes ago or five minutes ago or yesterday. And that should be your intention. Your, your focus shouldn't be on other people and what they're achieving. Your focus shouldn't be on some idealistic notion of success that's set out there somewhere in the future, that you read in a book somewhere, or that smart uh, dictates the route towards. The, the only thing we should do in our pursuit of excellence uh, uh, and high achievement is to get into the work for its own sake and allow that take us to where it does to where it eventually does. Um, it's been my experience that when you've done things for the fun of it, you're inherently encouraged to do your best. You know, that pursuit of uh, enjoyment where there's no pressure on you from others to perform. You know, if you're, if you're on the basketball court or you're on the field to play and your thought is, what do these people think of me? Uh, I need to perform, I need to do best because I have this image of myself that I need to uphold. So that's what's driving me towards uh, ever-increased achievement. That's only going to last so long. That approach is going to take you down. That's a very self-conscious approach. And what um, flow theory, Csikszentmihalyi, suggests is that uh, that must disappear. Self-consciousness must not be a part of the mix. And I think my own contention is, certainly from built on my experience, I mean, what else do I have? Is that if we're setting a goal, we've inher we've invariably pinned that tail to someone else's donkey. At least there's a high risk of it, in my opinion. And um doesn't always lead to the best result, you know? So get into the work for its own sake. Follow your own inherent drives. And then eventually one day you'll wake up and you'll be surprised. The momentum of that focus and attention on the task 
over a period of time leads to something special. And it's those things that surprise us. It's those things that make us smile. If we could, if we could plan out our whole lives from start to finish, it'd be very boring. It's not supposed to be like that. There are so many factors that we can't control. So you've got to kind of summon up everything I've spoken about today. You've got to be able to self-regulate. You've got to be able to, if you're going to imagine a future, if you're going to visualize, if you're going to rehearse, imagine it going according to plan and imagine yourself in the task for its own sake and the inherent enjoyment you get from it. Imagine that. Of course, we can have heroes and all of that, but ultimately we've got to kill them, you know, because we've got to be our own heroes and we've got to do the work. Like I said, I'm, I'm kind of repeating myself now, but you've got to do it for its own sake. And the cumulative effect then of that will be, you know, those moments when we achieve something. It's a self-determined approach. Um, so by way of summary of what we've discussed here today, performance is influenced by so many factors. There's stuff going on inside us that we we really don't know. Uh, we certainly don't know everything about. We know a little about, bit about. There are influences from the environment uh, and that whole dynamic exchange between us and the environment and us and other people. Our beliefs, our ideas, our uh, how we were brought up, the influence of our culture. Uh, there's so many aspects and you can't, we can't, science can't get to the bottom of it um, because we go deeper and deeper into why uh, we refine our answers further and further. And really, um, I think we, there's a danger of us getting away from the core principle, which is to a large extent, I think we dictate our own experiences uh, and what psychological skills training, acceptance and commitment therapy, which is touched on in the article. If you want to check that out, link in the description. Um, and other forms of, of therapy and uh, psychological skills, mental skills, whatever you want, where you want to call it, uh, whatever, whatever way you want to describe it. It really is about finding out who we are. It's about acknowledging the influences but understanding what we have control over and exercising that control and forming an acceptance for the conditions that we find ourselves in. Because a lot of stuff that goes on out there, we can't control. And when we allow ourselves to get uptight, when we allow our sense of self be dictated by all of those things going on out there, all of those people who have an opinion, etc., etc., it can spoil our enjoyment of it. There's none of us getting out here alive. We're all going to meet our maker someday. And there's no more sobering a thought than that. If, if we can somehow uh, find peace with all of these things that go on, and, and maybe, I mean, there's no protecting you and there's no protecting me from disappointment. I mean, sometimes it's just overwhelming, uh, certainly being that way for me, but we can get over it. And those challenging situations can then be, uh, they can they can help us form a perspective, a more balanced perspective. And I think that's what we're looking for in training ourselves 
in executing our skills to a higher degree, in uh, uh, self-regulating our own mood and emotional state and physical state, we can find an equilibrium. And I think that's what all of this is about. It's finding a place where we can be balanced without losing the plot, without getting too excited when things work out well, but at the same time, time without getting too uptight and upset when they don't, you know? Um, self-determination theory, which I mentioned, is uh, lends itself to, to that, I think, quite a bit. And so does um, Stephen Hayes' acceptance and commitment therapy. And there's loads of different ideas and, and theories out there, uh, um, interventions that you can use. But ultimately, you and I must find out who it is we are beyond this surface level identity because that's temporary. And when you meet your maker, when I meet mine, I think we there's no, well, there's an opportunity at least to realize that, you know. Uh, and in the meantime, it's about uh, enjoying the, the ride, you know. Um, and I know that's a little bit cliched, but really that has to be what it's about, you know. And uh, we either learn or we don't, you know. So that's about it for today's episode. Thanks for listening in. Uh, we'll have more next week on um, uh, the psychology of performance. And, uh, you know, we'll be touching on many different uh, ideas because um, they all matter. Um, and uh, we'll have a hard look at them. Uh, do check out the articles over on theperformatist.com. There's a link in the description and uh, larrygmaguire.com, which is where I have some other writing. If you're interested in checking that out, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Larry G. Maguire, jump on there and you can connect with me and um, maybe we'll see you here next week. Okay. In the meantime, have a good one and I'll talk to you soon. Take care.